Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, We are here at the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com, which is a a men's discipleship strategy. If your church, your community, uh, if you need some help with men's ministry, uh, we have a discipleship strategy that uh, we have worked on inside uh, my local church uh, for about six years. We launched it out. Uh, uh, to the entire country uh, last March, uh, some sort of, uh, you might have heard of COVID-19, the, pandem- the pandemic hit, uh, and that kind of uh, staggered our launch of that. Uh, but we do have some churches who have already finished the first curriculum. Uh, our second curriculum, which is a 40-week curriculum also, uh, will be coming out next week uh, for the churches that are already done with the first one. Uh, but most of the churches that are operating right now because of the setback are just now working through our first 40-week curriculum called The Pursuit. As a matter of fact, I was excited to get the number yesterday. Uh, we just added the 155th church uh, that is doing uh, the, the, the discipleship strategy, uh, either fully or at least some form of it, uh, meaning they're at least doing the curriculum uh, uh, all over the country. So that's exciting. And if we if we can help you, let us know. A couple of things going on. Uh, be sure if you're Catching this on March the 31st, uh, which is when we're doing this live, if you're listening to it today, please say a prayer uh, for Douglas, Georgia, and First Baptist Church. Uh, they are in the third phase of our discipleship strategy. Rich Wingo was scheduled to be there and speak to them tonight for the high challenge part of our strategy, uh, and then they're plugging into the next round of the curriculum. Uh, but due to the uh, severe weather, uh, between Birmingham, Alabama, and Douglas, Georgia, he is not able to make the trip. Uh, so we had to have a cancellation there, but they're still having uh, their gathering tonight, and uh, we're looking for a, uh, a speaker closer to them to at least do the high challenge message tonight. So say a special prayer for them, because I know that's put them in some duress, uh, and then they'll continue with our strategy uh, with the next gathering of men which will be coming up later in the summer. Uh, so remember that. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, April the 1st, I'll be in Mobile, Alabama, going to be at the hangar where we actually have the USS Alabama battleship uh, there in Mobile, Alabama, the People of Mars Hill, uh, Forge uh, Men's Event. The uh, name of their men's ministry is Forge Men's Ministry, uh, and I'll be speaking to those men and who, whoever else comes and attends uh, tomorrow night in Mobile, Lord willing, so be praying about that. Uh, on Saturday night, beautiful Shelby, Alabama, uh, and South Shelby Baptist Church. Uh, this is something that they had uh, have, have annually. It's their wild game feast. The men uh, from the surrounding communities will gather. Uh, we also will have our at both locations uh, our resources for discipleship from themanchurch.com. So if you can get to either one of these locations this week, we'd love to have you there. April 9th, uh, next week, it'll be Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, if you want to find out about uh, any of these or you know, all the different things we're involved with, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com and you can look at any event that Sherry and I are associated with, but you can also go to TheManChurch.com, that's TheManChurch.com, if you just want to be looking for the Man Church uh, events that are going on. These are people that are doing the strategy, and either I'm going out or one, or one of our speakers is going out to speak to to men at a Man Church service. If, if you want to get specific and just look at those, then go to themanchurch.com, burgessministries.com, has uh, all things that Sherry and I are involved with, whether it be with themanchurch.com or not. Uh, so that's just all up to what you might be looking for. You you decide that. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a prayer uh, time. Pray over tonight for Douglas, Georgia. Uh, pray over um, 
you know, our preparation to jump now into God's word about the next attribute of God, and that is the wrath of God. Lord, help us today. I do pray for those men that are scrambling right now uh, in Douglas, Georgia. I, I know that uh, they they worked for weeks to plan this, and now this weather that uh, I know has not caught you off guard has made it impossible for us to get uh, our speaker there to them, and they're now looking there closer to Douglas for another speaker. I know that you'll provide the right speaker and the right message tonight as they jump into the next phase of the curriculum. Please be with those men tonight, Lord. Uh, and I pray, Lord, over the other dates that we have and the, the ones that we even have this week in Mobile and in Shelby, Alabama, uh, pray, Lord, that you'll be with those events and help us, Lord, right now as we step into your word to, to learn everything we need to learn about you and this, this important part of who you are, and that is your perfect wrath. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here it is, uh, knowing God is our curriculum that we're studying, and we have been studying now for 14 weeks. We're now in week 15 of this study. And, and what, if, you're, if you're new to the study, that's all right. You can jump in today. Uh, but, but what we're doing is J.I. Packer, when he wrote the book Knowing God, uh, the concept that he wants to drive home is we have to understand the difference between knowing about God uh, and knowing God. And sometimes these two things are, are, are not the same. You might know a lot of facts about God, but knowing God means that you, you are so in tune with who he says he is that you understand him fully and you have such an intimate relationship with him, understanding all the attributes uh, that, that are of him that also makes you understand everything, including today and, and, and sort of spinning off last week for us to have a, a, a clear understanding of the gospel uh, about redemption. Here it is, Holy Week. Uh, what, what, what takes place on Friday uh, when the God-man, God comes to us, becomes 100% God, uh, or remains 100% God, and then becomes 100% man, uh, and then he goes to the cross uh, to be the ultimate Lamb of God, animal sacrifice requirement over. He fulfills redemption. He offers us to be made fully righteous uh, in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, taking the wrath of God, which we're going to talk about today, on himself, uh, then uh, going into the tomb, uh, defeating sin once and for all, the last and final sacrifice, then walking out of the tomb, uh, the tomb on the third day, uh, and then, of course, showing that he has defeated eternal death. So, so that's happening in history this week. Uh, so what Jesus was stressing about in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we've talked about in the Bible study before, was not the cross. Uh, the, these capillaries that were bursting, that, that, that was over the fact that here is the Son, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and the, these three persons of this one God have always existed, but now the Son has, has come off his throne, has come to earth and taking taken on being human, 100% human, while remaining 100% God. But in this garden, garden, the Father must pour out his wrath, which is our topic today, on sinful mankind. It must be poured out. So what Jesus is about to do is to step in the way of that uh, picture, if you would, a tidal wave of God's wrath coming on all who have sinned. Jesus steps in and takes that wrath on himself. And that's what he's stressing about. When he says, Father, can you let this cup pass? 
the cup is the cup of God's wrath, which we will tell you, you will leave this Bible study today and you will be able to say to everybody, the Bible talks about God's wrath a lot, a lot. So, and that's J.I. Packer's point. I don't know why we don't talk about it more because it's talked about in scripture by Jesus himself an awful lot. So that's what the stress of the capillaries bursting and what, what caused that. And then, of course, once uh, the father gave him no other option, then the son was resolute to the cross, and he went and redeemed us all, praise his holy name. We have much to celebrate this week. But if you don't understand the wrath part, it may not seem like a big deal to you. So that's why today is important. So what does wrath mean? Uh, the, the definition of wrath is, is, is a deep, intense anger and ig- uh, in, being indignant See, indignant is the word I want you to get because that, that's important. We're going to define that. It's, ignorant, it's indignant that you, you see Jesus when they you know, wouldn't let the kids get to him. The English word that is used that when he looked up and saw the disciples keeping children from him, he was indignant. Um, and what does indignant mean? That means a righteous anger. Uh, we can all be indignant. Now, we don't do it near as often. Uh, God does it perfectly. Most of the times we're angry, we're probably handling it the wrong way. But even human beings uh, can at times have a, a, you know, can be indignant and have a righteous anger, meaning it's not sinful. It's the correct anger to have. Now, most of us, though, as human beings have just anger. Now, anger stirs from resentfulness, displeasure. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's antagonistic. Uh, there, there's, you know, we feel a sense of, of injury or, or insult. And now we're, we're trying to defend ourselves and our anger. That's, that's normally what we have. But if you're indignant, then, then, uh, uh, it's a righteous anger, which is aroused by injustice. Uh, it, it's injustice that calls out this anger. You are, you are angry correctly at something that isn't just. And yes, there are times that human beings uh, can do this, usually under the authority of Christ, but most of the time we're just dealing with anger, not, not being indignant. But, but, but wrath, it, it's intense anger, but it is righteous anger that comes from God. Um, so, so always remember that wrath is indignant anger, and it is an attribute of God. But here's the thing that gets confusing. When you look at the modern church, and I'm going to ask you a, a tough question. I was, me and the guys were talking about this in the office because I knew what the topic was going to be today. I was studying, uh, finishing up this lesson to get it ready yesterday, and I, and, I, and I looked in Speedy's office, and I said to him, which I would say to, to any, any of you that are watching this right now because it's a great assessment, when was the last time that you were in a Western modern church, the last time you sat down, and the person who was delivering the message did a message on God's wrath. When was the last time? Uh, Speedy said he couldn't remember the last time he heard a message on God's wrath. And that, that seems to be the problem. Uh, there, there's a habit throughout the modern Western Christian church to, to play this subject down, this attribute of God. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, and so just think about the last year. In the last year in your church, when was the last time that your pastor, minister, whatever you call the person who's the leader of your church, the shepherd, who gets up in the in the pulpit, or uh, maybe there are others, or whomever gets up in the pulpit, when was the last time that that person who, who teaches the Bible in your church 
said today our topic will be from Scripture, God's wrath. Well, J.I. Packer talks about that. He said, the fact is that the subject of divine wrath has almost become taboo in modern society and, and Christians, modern-day Christians, uh, by uh, have accepted that the taboo uh, is correct and they've conditioned themselves to never raise the matter. We, we don't want to talk about God's wrath. We, we've, been, we've been taught by our church not to talk about it, so we don't talk about it. Well, you might be taught by your church not to talk about it, but let me tell you who, who, who didn't teach you not to talk about it. The Bible, the Word of God, because it talks about it all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both Testaments, Old and New, emphasize the reality and the terror of God's wrath. Listen to what A.W. Pink said in his book, The Attributes of God. A study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are to his love and tenderness. See, you didn't, you didn't feel that way to you, does it? Well, no, because that's the way you've been taught. But the problem, and this is the problem, Though this is an uncomfortable topic, to, to ignore it is not to understand the gospel. To ignore it is to not understand Holy Week at all. If you don't understand and I don't understand God's wrath, we don't fully celebrate or understand this week in history. We don't. Because if we don't understand what we were being protected from, then we don't really have the right thankfulness. And it may be why it's so much easier for us to chase after rabbits and eggs than to really concentrate on what God did for mankind through Jesus Christ this week. Because we, a perfect example, you know, we had some fun this week talking about some of the things uh, that uh, that have happened out on the road for themanchurch.com. And I got to do a, a man church gathering and a church that's doing the curriculum and I got to preach extremely close to a train track. I don't know how many of you have gone back and heard that on the show. The train was literally feet behind me, and we were trying to preach in between the trains. So let's say that um, uh, that I, I walked up uh, to you, and you were standing in a room, and I grabbed you from that room, and I removed you from that room to another room. And then, but you didn't know that, that what I, the reason why I removed you from that room is that a train was coming and it was going to destroy everybody standing in that room and I moved you to another room. But all you had ever really been taught is that I moved you from one room to another because the other room was not as comfortable as the room I have you in now. It really didn't have anything to do with sheer terror and destruction and death. I didn't really save you from destruction, terror, and death. I just saved you from a place that wouldn't have been as good as the place I took you. Which one of those brings appreciation to me the most? The fact that I took you out of an uncomfortable place to a place that's just more comfortable or the fact that I removed you from certain eternal death? If you knew I removed you from a train, you probably appreciate me more than you may be thinking I just removed you from discomfort to comfort. So it's a different difference. But you appreciate that I removed you from discomfort, but you don't appreciate me the way you would appreciate me if you knew I removed you from a train that was about to mow you down and grind your body up into nothing. Well, see, if we don't understand God's wrath, we don't really appreciate what Jesus did. We don't appreciate what God did to protect us from his wrath that is an attribute and will happen. 
We don't know. So, so that's the mistake of this. This is always the mistake you make. We make it as parents. We make it everywhere. Is that we try so hard to be sure that things go well and things aren't too terribly uncomfortable. And all we're doing is doing our children and all we're doing is doing the people of the church a disservice when we don't tell them the truth of the situation. They may be more comfortable, but, but, but they're not really ready and they don't really understand what we're talking about that took place in history this week. Do you think it's even a coincidence that we ended up on the wrath of God, the Holy Week, in this Bible study? This keeps happening with these Bible studies, how we'll be going through a book of the Bible, or going through, and these topics come up on weeks that they're supposed to come up on. And I'll be honest with you, anybody who knows me, I'm terrible at planning this kind of stuff. I, I don't think that far ahead. Everybody who knows me is going to trust, trust him. He doesn't. So let's talk about this for a minute then. The Bible labors the point that just as God is good to those who trust him, are you all ready for this? you got to be able to live with this. He is also terrible to those who do not. God loves and is gracious to those who love him, but he is terror and destruction to those who do not. Now, if you don't believe that, let's go to the prophet Nahum. And let's read what he has to say. Now, we all remember Nineveh, right? Nineveh. It's, you know, our country reminds me a lot of Nineveh. I mean, here's Nineveh. God's wanting to repent, wants them to repent. He goes to Jonah. Jonah hates them. He wants nothing to do with them because they're so horrible. He finally reluctantly gives in to God, send him there, and they repent, and he hates it. And Jonah was like, I really wanted them to receive God's wrath. Well, Jonah, good news they for you, bad news for them. Uh, they, of course, didn't learn from that experience, and eventually God does wipe them off the face of the earth. Okay? So it, it eventually does happen. Uh, Nahum's talking about this. He's talking to Nineveh, and here's what he says in uh, Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful, and the uh, wrath, wrathful, and the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger. And see, this is the mistake. We think because the Lord is slow to anger, we somehow define that, that he never angers. No, it says he's slow to anger. It doesn't say he never angers. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. But here's Nahum saying, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. You and I are guilty, and Jesus makes us innocent if we're redeemed. That's why this this week is such a big deal. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. He says that uh, Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? This is him being indignant, like we talked about. Who can stand before his righteous anger? Who can endure endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. I mean, does he have anybody's attention yet? The Lord is good. He says that. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. 
Those are those that uh, that are, are in the proper relationship with him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries of him and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Hmm. Well, the prophet has it right, and, and I don't know why we don't understand this since it's talked about so much in Scripture. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says. So, Because I, I know what happens. Every time you talk about God's wrath, there's, I don't know why we're like this. For some reason, the New Testament churches will immediately start, well, now that's Old Testament, as if God's changed somewhere. Now, look, we have a new covenant, but God's character and his attributes have never changed. If you don't believe that, listen to what Paul says. We're now in the New Testament. Paul's expectation that the Lord Jesus will one day appear in a blazing fire and will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. If you don't believe that's in the New Testament, I would encourage you today to take your Bible and go to Second Thessalonians, and then you go to chapter 1 and read verses 7 through 10. Let's write that down. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. Here's Paul saying that all authority in heaven and earth has been given from the Father to the Son, but the Son in a blazing fire will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this week is a big deal. If you don't understand God's wrath, then this week you'll take too casually. In the New Testament, the wrath of God, the wrath and simply wrath are virtually technical terms for the outgoing of God and his action in whatever means against those who have defiled him. There are so many verses about God's wrath in the New Testament. I'll read them off for you if you want to jot them down, but there's so many I couldn't give you. And you and you go to church, and you would think it's never mentioned. But you know what's happening too many times in the Western church? You only hear people preach on attributes of God they feel comfortable with and think you'll feel comfortable with. But they're, not do, they're doing you a terrible disservice because there's not, you know, how, what do we all want to know? I want to know what I'm getting into. What is the situation here? So here's some other verses about God's wrath against all who defile him in the New Testament. Romans, Romans chapter 1, you can read the whole thing. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to get into Romans before this uh, session is over. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 13. Uh, verses 4 through 5. So, And we'll talk more about Romans coming up. Th- isn't it interesting how everybody answers this question? If you could only have one book of the Bible, and and you know, I hope we never get in that situation, but if, if there was only one book of the Bible that you had, which one would you want? Everybody says, Romans, Romans. Do you realize before we're done today, we're going to use the book of Romans to talk about God's wrath? Because it's, it's so clearly laid out by the Apostle Paul. I just gave you here some other verses. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, I just gave you that one. Uh, also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Of course, the Revelation talks about this quite a bit. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. 
Luke chapter 21, verses 22 through 24, and I'll just have to stop. That's not even all of them. That's just some that I've got that you can go back and, and can reference on your own because we don't have time to read every single verse on God's wrath in the Bible because it's talked about more than the other attributes. Because if you don't understand this, the other attributes don't mean as much to you. Bible history, as we saw in our last chapter, because we did talk about him as the judge last week, loudly proclaims the severity as well as the goodness of God. Yes, the goodness of God is there, but his severity is there as well. So why, when the Bible is so vocal about it, why do we feel so obliged to be silent? And that is a great question. It's a great question. So what is God's wrath like? Well, we know that uh, the the root cause of our unhappiness seems to be uh, the suspicion that the idea of wrath in some way or another is unworthy of the God that we prefer. I think that's it. I, I, I just think this is an attribute that we go, I'm not sure that I want God to be a God of wrath. Well, that's unfortunate because there's nothing we can do to change that. But, but where you're wrong is the fact that God is wrathful. You're missing it again. His anger, for the word you want to use, I would call it that he's, he's indignant, not angry. He's indignant. He has a righteous anger against the right things. He really would not be a perfect God if he didn't have wrath toward all the things that ought to receive his wrath. He doesn't get it wrong like we do. Indeed, it, uh, if you look at it, the Bible does not ask us to try to come up with this, but he says, some of you think that like if God is wrathful, it means he's lost, he, he doesn't have self-control, somehow God's been wounded or God's prideful, uh, that God has a bad temper. Uh, yeah, but, but the Bible does not ask us to see it that way. There seems to be a great misunderstanding of God's wrath. It does not imply that the limitations and imperfections which belong to the personal characteristics of us, we're sinful creatures, somehow belong also to the corresponding qualities to our holy creator, rather it takes for granted that they do not. See, the reason why you may struggle with God's wrath is you're picturing you having wrath. You're picturing the way you and I deal with wrath, the way we put it out. And I can, and I mean, that, that's one of the things God is, is still working on changing me, I, I was not a short-tempered person at all. I was also slow to anger. I, I don't I don't get upset about just anything. But my problem was when I did get angry, as, as my brother would put it, he said, if, if I get angry with you, you're just going to be upset with me for a little while, and I'll get angry with you quicker than Rick will. But when Rick gets angry with you and he's done, you'll need counseling. Because when I get to the point that I go, or the way I used to be, and, I, and God has changed me in this, I would hand out wrath that was not handed out correctly, and it would be hurtful. It would be out of pride. It would be out of uh, uh, resentment. It would be out of just just the wrong. It was not righteous anger. And so somebody like me might think, well, when God says that he's wrathful, he must be wrathful like me, so he must be flawed. No. His wrath is perfect and deserved, and it also, back to this again, is what makes his grace so wonderful. If you don't understand the wrath that's coming on the unredeemed, you can't understand how gracious him providing redemption when we didn't deserve it really is. It makes this week a lot more special if you understand God's wrath. 
So God is only angry when anger is called for. Even among humans, there is such a thing as righteous, ignorant, uh, being indignant, righteous anger. I talked about that, uh, though it is perhaps rarely found, as I said. But when God is indignant and he has his righteous anger, it's always in the correct place. So then to others, the thought of God's wrath sometimes. So first of all, you know, you say, well, I think that means that he must be uh, petty like me. It does not mean that. Secondly, some people think that God's wrath suggests that God is cruel. Uh, they think perhaps of, of what they've been told about the famous Jonathan Edwards uh, gospel sermon. I don't know if you've ever read it before, but it is worth a read. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, and this was used to bring an awakening to the town of Enfield in New England in 1741. And the sermon, Edwards uh, enlarging on his theme, the natural men are held in the hands of God over the pit of hell. Uh, and some of uh, the most vivid furnace uh, imagery uh, was used. And Jonathan Edwards made his congregation feel the horror of their position. So to give them... Uh, you know, to come to the conclusion that they need to be saved. They said when Jonathan Edwards was preaching about the biblical truth of God's wrath, that people were weeping and crying in the message, and they began to interrupt him and shout out, what must we do to be saved? So so see, some, some, sometimes when someone takes the word of God and helps you to understand God's wrath, your reaction is either, thank goodness I'm redeemed, or, oh, my goodness, what do I have to do to be redeemed? It, it, it's pretty, it's, it's a good thing to know. But, but remember that, that God, who could inflict punishment, on, on, and, and, and that it required such language, is, is some people say, well, when I hear this, I don't understand that, Rick. So when I hear the kind of language that Jonathan Edwards preached in 1741, it doesn't, I don't have that reaction. My reaction is God is some sort of monster that's out to destroy people. Well, that's incorrect. See, then you've missed it because then you don't understand if you take that God's wrath. It, first of all, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's righteous anger. He is angry at people who deserve it. I deserve it. But then when he turns around and says, however, even though you deserve my wrath, I have come up with a plan of redemption that only I could do that will protect you from my wrath. Well, if, if there's nothing to be protected from, then why do I care? You know, I, I've, this, we've said this before on the program. People always throw around getting saved. I've heard that before. He's my Savior. Well, then what are you being saved from? If there's nothing to be saved from, then he doesn't need the title Savior. So there's something that we're being saved from, and that is God's wrath. So God's wrath in the Bible is always judicial. That is, the, the wrath of the judge administering justice like we talked about last week. Now, cruelty is always immoral, so that means God can't be doing this uh, for, to, be, to be cruel. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you, if you understand the fullness of God's wrath, and, 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 and when God's wrath is handed out, whomever his wrath is handed out on, this is the part you miss, Whomever that is, that means they've rejected his plan of redemption, and that person is receiving precisely what they deserve. Paul echoes Psalms 62.12. Write that down. Psalms 62.12. Paul's echoing this when he says the day of God's wrath uh, is coming. Proverbs 24.12. 
uh, also says there's a day when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's Proverbs 24, 12. God will give to each person according to what he has done, Romans 2, 5, and 6. Jesus himself, who actually had more to say on the subject than any other New Testament figure, hello, there's no one in the New Testament that talks about the wrath of the Father more than the Son. Jesus talks about God's wrath more than anyone else in the entire New Testament. And then we go into these services, and we're, we're, we're praising like we should, and we're, we're worshiping Jesus, but then we ignore one of the things that he said. Why are we not talking about it? And not talking about it is dangerous because, as I've said over and over again, people miss the point of the gospel if they don't understand God's wrath. Jesus has more to say about it than anybody. He made the point that retribution would be proportioned to each individual. Listen to what Jesus said. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready for his master to come back or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Now, the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. That means that that the severity of that person's punishment who didn't know any better, it's still coming, but it won't be as severe, back to Matthew 11 again, than those who knew better. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. That's one of those one of these verses again that we always try to make it more palatable. We we'll say, well, too much is given, you know, much is like hoped for or expected. I love that I've heard that before expected. Like maybe, like God's like, I gave this person a lot, and I just hope I'll get something back. Now, what he says is, for everyone who has been given much, meaning those of us that know, and we've heard the gospel over and over and over and over, and we still remain worldly, sinful, and unredeemed. He said, from those of you who were in a position like in the country I placed you in, and for those of you that were placed in the places in that country where the gospel was readily available, you heard it all the time, for those I'm going to demand more. I'm not going to expect more or hope for more. I'm going to demand more. It's going to be required. And for the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked of that person. Now, Jesus was saying this in the book of Luke, and Luke documented this for us in chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. Okay, in second place, God's wrath in the Bible is something which people choose for themselves. John writes about this. He says, whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned, judged, already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. He goes on to explain as follows. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men rejected the light because they loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. John's talking about this, and we did a study on this in the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 3. You know, a lot of people always talk about John three sixteen. Well, I would go ahead and read 18 and 19 as well. They're really a big deal, because that's what he's talking about. So what John is saying is anybody who rejects the redemption found in Jesus, they condemn themselves. We talked about this a lot. The cross on Friday, that either redeems you or it condemns you. If you, if you repent and receive it it, it, it redeems you. If you reject it, then it condemns you. Um, I had this discussion, uh, but this is why people don't understand God's wrath. I was uh, in Nicaragua, and uh, Sherry and I were there, and 
we were doing some mission work um, with uh, with our kids and, and with the, their school. And, uh, of course, the only English people speaking people that I was able to find uh, were atheists. And they were from the United Kingdom. And so I get into a discussion with this guy, and he starts out thinking he's the only person who's ever said these ridiculous words. Well, I just, uh, I just can't understand... Uh, uh, or, or serve a God that if I don't do the right things, you know, he's going to throw me into hell. Uh, and I said, well, then, you know, you, you must not know the God that I serve then. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the God I serve isn't throwing anyone into hell. Uh, they are throwing themselves into hell. Uh, he has pro- provided, provided redemption for all who repent uh, and desire to be forgiven. He offers grace. So the God that I serve actually isn't throwing people into hell. He's actually delivering them from hell because we throw ourselves into hell. We'll have to crawl across the cross and throw ourselves into hell. So you don't even understand God. So he didn't understand God's wrath. He thought that God's wrath was angry. It was unreasonable. And if you don't do the right things, I'd throw you away. And if you don't do this, and he, he said, I don't want to serve an unreasonable God. But see, he didn't have God right because he didn't understand God's wrath. And so that's what John is, is trying to clarify. So the basic choice was simple. Either respond to the summons, and, and Jesus says this, Matthew 11. I mentioned that a minute ago. Matthew 11, verses 28, 29, Jesus says, Come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. So Jesus puts a simple choice in front of all of us. He says, you know, you, you either respond to my summons to come to me, repent, come to me, take my yoke, my lordship, uh, and, 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 and I'll, and I'll save you. Or if, if you want to reject Jesus's offer of redemption and you don't want his yoke on you, you want to be in charge of yourself. Well, then here's what he says. He says, um, either save your life by, by, you know, by, by being, following Jesus. And, and, and let him have your life and, and let him have control of you and, and you shoulder your cross and become a disciple, letting Jesus have his own disruptive way with you. Or you can, you can tell Jesus that, um, that we'd rather have the world and, uh, and we don't want him. And if you do that, then, you know, you may gain the world, as he says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He also says this in Luke chapter 9. He says, if you would rather have the world than me, you might get the world, but you're going to lose your soul. But you have a choice. You, you, you do whatever one you want to do. But I'm offering, you will be under my authority. My authority will actually be the best place to be. My, my yoke is not, uh, is not bur- it's, it's light, but I'm still going to be in control. Why is it light? Well, because it's grace. It's not works-based. I, I've redeemed you, but I'm taking control of your life. And you say, I don't want to give my life to anybody, including you, Jesus. Okay. Uh, and you're right. You may have more a little fun for a while and you may go out and do whatever you want to do in the world, but I want you to know you might gain the world, but you're going to lose your soul. Your soul is what I'm here to redeem. Again, Matthew 16, 24 through 26, you see this documented by Luke also in Luke chapter 9, uh, around verse 23, the deny yourself uh, and follow him. So what does it mean to lose our soul? Well, Jesus clarifies that. This is him talking about wrath again. Jesus uses his own imagery of the day, uh, Gehenna, uh, this is this is hell, Mark chapter nine verse forty seven. 
Uh, you find it there also. It's ten other times in different Gospels. And the reason why Jesus uses this imagery of Gehenna, this, this was right outside of Jerusalem. This is where they dumped all the trash, uh, where the worm does not die, Mark nine forty seven. It's an image that he knew everybody there would understand. Because what do we know about all the rubbish and the trash at Gehenna outside the, the walls of Jerusalem? We know that when all those things out there were eventually burnt. Uh, and so th- this is Jesus saying, if you reject me, then you'll be uh, under God's displeasure. You'll be moved from light to outer darkness for the knowledge of the loss, not merely of God, but of all good and of everything that makes life seem worth living. Thus, Jesus describes those who reject redemption as people who have the gnashing of teeth, the grinding of their teeth for their own self-condemnation and their self-loathing. They hate where they've ended up, even though they choose to put themselves there. So you see that throughout Scripture, there is good news, but there is a warning. And without the warning, the good news is not even worth hearing. Hey, good news about what? I'm here to save you from what? Nothing, really. Nothing too bad. Eh, uh, Well, then, what's so good about that? Oh, it's good news. What? What? I'll offer, I'll offer to save you. From what? Well, nothing really. Just some mild inconveniences. Well, I, I got news for you. Uh, I've, I've worked through mild inconveniences through the choices of my life, uh, but, uh, but I'm still alive, and sun kept coming up like this. But when you come in and say, I have good news, by the way, God's wrath, which is going to be like this pile of rubbish we have outside the gates, you're going to be like that rubbish out there, Gehenna, and if you reject my, my father and you reject me as his plan of redemption, you're going to be thrown out there like a rubbish pile where the worm never dies and there's a gnashing and self-loathing, uh, 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 there's a gnashing of teeth and self-loathing of self and you'll be in utter outer darkness. And oh, by the way, the trash gets burned and you'll be eternally burning. Oh, well, I guess that is good news then. Right? That's why understanding God's wrath is so important. If you reject Jesus, let me tell you what you're doing. You have preferred to be by yourself without God. You have preferred to defy God. You prefer to have God against you. And you know what? Then he's then that person who decides they want that, God is such a, I mean, God's not going to force this on you. And he's saying if that's your, prever- your preference, then you'll stand under my wrath. Look, don't we understand this as parents? I can remember with one of my kids so vividly. Now, it wasn't to to the point of God's wrath, but I said to a child of mine one time, and it was something when they were just a child. I mean, it was something silly like a spend the night party, and we had had a game, and I told this child, they were all doing a little party after they won the game over at somebody's house, jumping on the trampoline, doing the thing, eating the cookies, uh, dad, the, the daddy there doing hamburgers, hot dogs. But that was the end of it because our family had plans that night to do something as a family. And everybody was going to be there. So I get there and this child pitches a little fit that they want to stay and spend the night with the teammates. And I called my child over to the side and I said, now here's the deal. You have two choices. Choice number one, which by the way is the right choice. You go thank Mr. So-and-so for letting y'all come over here and play this afternoon. 
and then you tell all your friends goodbye, and you get in the car, and then we all go home, and we have this great night together that we've all planned. That's choice number one. And oh, by the way, that's the right choice. I said, now there is choice number two. You pitch a fit out here, and you make a scene. You're not staying in that scenario either. Neither one of these do you get to spend the night. But in that choice, you then get punished severely, and you're not going to get to do anything the rest of us are doing tonight. And you will, number one, be disciplined with the rod, and you will stay in your room, and you won't do anything tonight. Now you decide. And she pitched a fit. And when got back in the car, I said, I see you went with choice number two. And I carried out choice number two. That's exactly what God is saying on a much more severe, because God's wrath is much more severe than you got a spanking and you had to sit in your room. You're going to be into eternal damnation and eternal darkness, separated from God, burning in an eternal fire, and being miserable for eternity as you die forever. Because God's wrath is handed down on all that are unredeemed because he's holy and sin cannot come into his presence. We must be fully righteous, and only Jesus and the cross and the resurrection makes us perfect. He makes us fully righteous. But we have a choice. And so all that choose God's wrath have chosen it for themselves. The essence of God's action in wrath is to give men what they have chosen. And all its implications, it's nothing more, and it's also equally nothing less. We will get from God what we choose from him because he has provided redemption. So, The first act of God's wrath toward humanity happened in Genesis chapter 3. We learned that Adam had already chosen to what? Hide from God and to keep clear of his presence before God ever drove him from the garden. And the same principle applies throughout the Bible. So what does that mean? What what does that mean? Why why did Adam hide himself when he and Eve had, had gone against God? Because deep down... You know you did the wrong thing. Why did he hide? Because Adam was aware that the choice they had made was now putting them in a place where they were not in the proper standing with God. He knew it. You realize he's hiding before God shows up and says, now this is problematic. Because he knows. And we know. We know when we reject God and we don't do what he said to do. There's something in eight in all of us that says, these decisions I'm making, they're just not right. But the question is whether we go ahead and do them anyway. So let's look at the book of Romans, and, and, and we'll, we'll, I'll try to get us out of here on time today. The book of Romans talks about God's wrath as clear as any book in the Bible. And like I said, all the great men of our faith all say Romans is, is the finest book. It, it, it's perfectly written. Uh, it's Paul's greatest work. Some people call it Paul's gospel. And it actually cont- contains, which makes this interesting, more explicit references to God's wrath than all the rest of Paul's letters put together. Uh, we shall end the chapter by analyzing what Romans tells us about God's wrath, and it'll clarify some points. All right, number one, if you're writing things down, the meaning of God's wrath. The wrath of God in Romans denotes God's resolute action in punishing sin. That's the meaning. It is as much the expression of a personal emotional attitude of the triune Jehovah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as this, it's just as much an expression 
of, of the attitude of God as his love to sinners. So, 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 so his love to sinners or the potential love, meaning if we're redeemed, we receive his love. His grace towards sinners, that part of him is strong, but guess what's just as strong? That is the, the man, him manis, manifesting his hatred toward all the unredeemed. I've told you before about, about Psalms chapter 5, kind of clarifies this. The theology of God hates sin but loves the sinner, it's a little shaky if you really get to the Bible. What it really ought to say is that God hates sin and offers love to any who repent. That's a better way to say that. Because if we remain in sin and we cover ourselves in sin and we reject God's redemption and we reject our need of repentance, all we get is God's wrath. We don't get his love. You're just going to get his wrath. And Psalms 5 really talks about this. says really he hates people who remain in sin. And I think sometimes, you know, we get this attitude, God loves me just the way I am. It's not true. No, God loves you enough to offer repentance so you won't be the way you are. If you just remain in sin, then you receive God's wrath. You don't receive his love. And Romans makes this extremely clear. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if, if you look, it's um, the phrase, the wrath, appears in Romans. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, also in Romans 5, verse 9, and this may refer specifically to the future crowning manifestation of this hatred on the unredeemed. This day is called the day of wrath. But it may also refer to uh, the present events, you know, this, this processing, the, the divine retribution for sin may also be discerned here. God's wrath gets handed out even in present day, not just this future. The future day of wrath means this is the end of it. He separates the redeemed for the unredeemed, and this is the the fullness of his wrath, his final wrath on all who remain unredeemed. But his wrath is still in play even in present circumstances at times. Uh, We also see that God's wrath is reaction to our sin. Here's what Paul says in in Romans chapter 4. The law, meaning that's that's that perfection that he requires, the law brings wrath because the law stirs up uh, a sin latent within us and causes transgression, the behavior that evokes the wrath to abound. You see this in chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 7, when Paul talks about his struggle with sin. Uh, chapter 7, verses uh, 7 through 13. Uh, how about this? Paul rejects with righteous anger. He's indignant. He rejects any suggestion that God is unjust to inflict wrath on us. Read Romans chapter 3, verse 5. Romans chapter 3, three verse 5, Paul says, no, no, no. I don't want anybody to say that God's uh, wrath on us is somehow not just. It's absolutely just. He's, here's what Paul calls us, fitted for destruction. He calls us vessels of wrath, that is, objects of wrath. And uh, he calls us children of wrath when he writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. So such persons, simply by being what they are, are called that we are calling down God's wrath on ourselves. You've heard me say this before. Let me tell you what you, we should not say. Well, I live in continual, perpetual, uh, you know, uh, sin. And, you know, these sinful things in my life that never go unrepented and they never really change and they're in conflict with God. Well, I'm sorry. That's just the way I am. Well, I wouldn't stay the way you are. And I'm glad I didn't stay the way I was because the way you are and the way I was, if you were unredeemed, 
The unredeemed that say, this is the way I am, well, then you're calling down God's wrath. The way we are demands for God to hand his wrath on us. That's why we can't stay the way we are. We must be the way he makes us when he redeems us. So the first thing in Romans, we see the meaning of God's wrath. It comes down on unredeemed sin. Sin calls for it. We are children of wrath. We are vessels of wrath. We must be redeemed. Until we're redeemed, we deserve nothing but wrath. The revelation of God's wrath is in Romans. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. This is at Romans chapter 1, which talks about uh, God's wrath and talks about sin quite a bit. Uh, and, and, and you can see this, that it, uh, you see in chapter 1, P- Paul talks about that, we were, that these people are so in sin that God has given them up to a depraved mind. God's given them up uh, to do uninhibited the evil. God's righteous decree that those who do not that do such things deserve death. God is righteous, so if, you, if you're in depravity and you roll around in that, then he will give you over to it, and if he gives you over to it and you remain unredeemed, then you deserve his wrath. No one is entirely without inklings of judgment to come. And this immediate disclosure is confirmed by the revealed word of the gospel, which prepares us for the good news by telling us what? The bad news. You, you, it's not called good. I, 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 there, you know, the opposite of good news is bad news. So you ever heard somebody come up and say, you want the good news or the bad news first? I always pick the bad news. Or am I the only one? I always pick the bad news. Well, if, if Paul walked up and he said, you want the good news or the bad news? I'll take the bad news. You deserve God's wrath. And I got to tell you something. God's wrath is coming down on all the unredeemed and you are a children, a child of wrath, and you deserve God's wrath, and God's wrath is coming down on you. Okay, what's the good news? He offers redemption so that that won't happen. Well, now that is good news. But it's not good news if I don't understand the bad news. So Paul tells us the bad news in Romans. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, The day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God is coming. And so he tells us the, the revelation of God's wrath. And he says that, that if God, if you want to choose sin, in Romans chapter 1, you can read this for yourself today, he says, if we want to choose sin, there are moments when God will give us over to our depravity. It, he talks about in Romans chapter 1, he gives them over to their sexual impurity. God gave them over to their shameful lust. He gave them over to, again, that depraved mind. Can you think of the things you see in our society right now? where people have chosen sin to the point that God has just given them over to it. And when that happens, and you see this in Romans chapter 1, it looks a lot like our society today. And there's all kinds of signals in Romans chapter 1. You know what these signals are, Paul says? A depraved society. And God's wrath is coming down on all this kind of behavior for all those who refuse to repent of it. So we've got the meaning of God's wrath in Romans. We've got the revelation of God's wrath. And then the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful good news. Also in Romans, we see the deliverance from God's wrath. Somebody say amen to that. He says, if the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and the day of wrath is coming when God will render to every man according to his deeds, how can any of us escape this disaster? So Paul sets up what? An impossible situation. But then he says, in Romans chapter 3, 
He says, we're all under sin. No one is righteous, not even one. The whole world is held accountable to God. This is in Romans chapter 3, 9 uh, and uh, 10, and also in verse 19. The law cannot save us, for its only effect is to stimulate sin and show us how far we fall of righteousness. Paul said, the law is to show you how much we're in need of redemption. So Paul says, is there any way of deliverance then from the wrath to come? Can I tell you the good news? Yes. Yes. Paul says, since we have now been justified by his blood, talking about Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So see, Paul's established this God's wrath, God's wrath, God's wrath, God's wrath. And then he comes in with the good news and says, but we can be justified by Jesus. And those of us that have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God that's coming? If that didn't make you appreciate Jesus, what does it mean to be justified and the incarnate Son of God? It means to be forgiven and accepted as righteous. How do we become justified? Through faith. That is self-abandoning trust in our own selves. And then we begin to trust in the work of Jesus. How does Jesus' blood do that? His sacrificial death, it forms basis for our justification. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 3. Now we're at verse 24 and 25 where he speaks of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God hath set forth to be the the sacrifice for us through his blood. When you, you, you see that this, this word that he uses, propitiation, I have word, trouble with that. It's propitiation. I can't say it. But here's what that means And when you see that in English. What that word means is that, that now God's wrath has been averted through, it has, it has been averted. Here comes the wrath. Jesus steps in and he, he diverts the wrath off of us. He takes it on himself and it comes off of us and it cancels our guilt. Canceled. That's why I said to Telestai from the cross. Coming up this Friday, we remember this day in history. To Telestai. What does that mean? A debt had to be paid. And in the Greek language, if you, if you walked up to the, the Roman Empire and you owed taxes or you owed a payment or you owed a debt, You would walk up and you would take that, whatever you had to pay for it. And if you paid it in full, here's what I owe, and you paid it in full, they would pull out the stamp, and on the stamp it would say, Tetelestai. And they would stamp it. You know what that meant? Paid in full. Your debt is paid. Tetelestai. That's what Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. It is paid for. Tetelestai. So... You see how you got to understand the bad news to understand the good news? If somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I paid your debt, and they never told you you owed one? Okay, man, thanks. No, no, no. Let, let me clarify. Come here. I just went and paid a debt that if I didn't pay that debt, they were coming to get you today and drag you off and kill you. Oh. Oh. 
So you paid a debt that if you didn't pay that, they were going to come drag me off and kill me today? Correct. Now, you'd feel a little different than that than me saying, hey, I paid that debt for you today. What are you talking about? You walked out of the restaurant, and, I, and, uh, and the guy said you forgot to pay. Oh, my goodness, I did. It's okay. I dropped by and paid for that five ninety five lunch you had. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's a little different, isn't it? And see, if we think that all Jesus has done and paid for lunch, then we probably don't respect it and understand how wonderful this day is. This is Holy Week. The book of Jude says this. Jude, who was the other earthly brother of Jesus, said, he describes it this way in Jude uh, chapter 23. I mean, I'm sorry, Jude 23. It's only one chapter. Verse 23. He says that Jesus has saved some by snatching them out of the fire. He saved some by snatching them out of the fire. See, we cannot serve him acceptably, J.I. Packer says, unless there is this due reverence of his awful majesty and godly fear of his righteous anger. And these are best promoted by frequently calling to mind that our God is a consuming fire. When you understand that God's wrath is an all-consuming fire and that Jesus has stepped in and has offered us the gift to be snatched from the fire, we appreciate that a whole lot more, I hope. So it is Holy Week, and I hope of, of all weeks you take time to think about the goodness of this gift of grace that is offered to us. And we can be saved by grace through our faith, meaning we leave the trust in ourselves and we place our trust totally in our Redeemer. But to truly understand what you've been redeemed from, you must take time to jump in the Scriptures like we did today and understand that wrath, righteous anger against all the unredeemed and all who oppose God That righteous anger, that perfect wrath is coming down on the unredeemed. Well, that that makes us realize how wonderful redemption really is. Understand what Jesus has saved you from. And if you're not saved from it, you can be. And of all weeks, it'd be a great week to do it, the day that we remember what Jesus did for all of us to save us from the wrath of God. Thanks for being with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Go with us and help us to understand this truth today. And may our response be gratitude for the grace you offer that we don't deserve. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for being with us.